0: Well, I don't have to preach. It was in the music. So I'll just leave it up to you guys. Want me to preach or do you just want to go get pizza? You know I'm going to preach, right? Um, Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. So that's the sermon. Um, is everybody good with that? I probably don't need to preach this. I mean, you guys, you guys know, right? Okay, I will. I will preach it. I will preach it. That's the first time I've ever been begged to preach, so I will do it. Little one. I forgot her name. What's her name? Hope. I won't forget again. Hope. Thank you, Hope. Um, Two weeks ago, I introduced and built a sermon around the proposition that human life is all about God. Um. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And I've been wondering about you. Um, Did you believe it? Do you believe that human life is in fact all about God? Did you believe it? Or was that just um, sermonic rhetoric? What do you think? Um, I'd like to know what you think. Maybe you could come tell me at the appropriate time. But I wanted to ask you Is that who you are? Is that how you live? Your life is all about God. Your life is all about Jesus Christ. First and foremost, it's about Jesus Christ. Then it's about uh, my family. Then it's about my career. Then it's about, you know, whatever the priority list is. Is that how it is with you? Jesus, Do you believe that your life, your talents, your relationships, your marriage, your kids, your career, your sexuality, your leisure, etc., 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 are all about Jesus? I think this is a dividing line for pseudo-Christianity, which is rampant today in every corner of the world. False Christianity. And also over against Biblical Christianity. Last week... We concluded our look at that little uh, book, that awesome book of Philippians, and we saw the reality of that proposition and how Christians give. That was how Paul finished the book, in talking about how Christians give. We saw that genuine Christian giving is not about money at all. What's it about? Oh, that's right, it's about God. It's not about the money, it's never been about the money. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about the money. How we worship and our giving is always a spot-on reflection of what we think about Christ. How we love Him and know Him and seek to honor Him and worship Him in the world and also obviously in the body of Christ. Some of you will be familiar with the screw tape letters. I use it every once in a while. Uh, by, written by C.S. Lewis. You have Screwtape, who is a senior demon, mentoring his nephew, Wormwood, who is a junior demon. And the junior demon, Wormwood, has been assigned to a patient, that being a human being. And the, the demon's job is to try to keep the patient or the human being from God. That's the task that's been assigned to Wormwood. And there's bad news from. For Wormwood, in chapter 2, he must report that his patient has made a profession of faith in Christ. So, uh, Wormwood reports this to Screwtape, and Screwtape says this, there's no need to despair. Many of these so-called converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. Of course, C.S. Lewis here, when he uses this term, reclaimed, converts he's not talking about someone who's been truly born again we know the bible teaches one cannot lose their salvation once they have it but what he's talking about are those who make professions of faith in christ but they're merely cultural christians they're they're nominal christians they're really only church members they're really just on the roll at church they don't really love christ ultimately and it's, you can't see it in their life. Now, they can talk it, but they do not walk it in the world. And yeah, this line here doesn't, uh, doesn't apply to them. Not every breath of theirs is all about Him. And yeah, they often do cease to worship Him. So we understand that that's, what, what, that's what's being talked about here. These are only cultural Christians. So Screwtape counsels Wormwood about how to deal with his patient, listen to those words. Screw tape says, Talk to your patient about moderation in all things. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us, this is a demon talking, as no religion at all, and in fact is quite amusing. Any of you ever read the screw tape letters? I'd recommend it to you. It's, uh, it's a great satire. So, he says, a moder- the demon says, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and it's more amusing. So, I thought I would define uh, moderate for you, or moderation. It means, to, it, it, means uh, it carries the connotation of being modest, or restrained, or average, or ordinary, or uh, diminished, or, or mediocre. And I was going to ask you, isn't that by and large what we see in much of the uh, the, the professing Christian church, both Eastern Orthodox, Catholic and Protestant. And that what we see, this superficiality, this nominalism. I was thinking about some other terms. I thought of the term, you know, conditional conditional commitment to Christ. If the conditions aren't too difficult. And of course we think about this missionary couple I just mentioned to you in Iraq. Their faith's not conditional. I thought about the word qualified. You know, yeah, I'll follow Jesus, but not that far. A qualified commitment to Christ. I thought about a provision or contingent commitment to Christ. You know, I will follow Jesus. I'll be in His church. I will obey His Word. I will keep His commands if, if it fits into my schedule, right? If it doesn't constrict my lifestyle or my leisure. If it doesn't get in the way of my hobbies. If it doesn't get in the way of work or in the pursuit of my career. If it it doesn't inconvenience me or cost me anything, I will love Jesus. I will profess Jesus. It's a Christianity, again, that's epidemic in the modern world. It ventures nothing. It forgoes nothing. It risks nothing. And it sacrifices nothing. I like how the English theologian John Stott talks about this. He says, it's being involved enough to be respectable but not enough to be uncomfortable. Moderated Christianity. The demons love it. I think C.S. Lewis is right on target here. The demons love a moderated Christianity. You know, yeah. You're not going to have any impact in the world with that. I was talking with Karen about these things. It's been on my mind ever since we got into Philippians chapter 3. And you see how Paul simply sold out. You know, he's just sold out. He says, I press on. I press on. I'm pressing on. He just keeps saying it, right? And I thought, wow, what a what a great testimony. What a great testimony. So I was talking to Karen about this a couple of weeks ago. And the perfect word for this nominalism kind of crystallized in my mind. At least it's perfect to me. What I want to try to say about it, it's like a, a, a disposable Christianity. It's disposable. As long as nothing else interests me more, I I will, I will profess Jesus. I'll show up at church. I'll do the Word. But if there's any cost involved... Any inconvenience involved? Any hard decisions to be made? It's disposable. I've told you many times, I've been in ministry for 29 years now. And I've seen this many, many times. Of course, the word that the Lord Jesus uses is, you guys already know, you're probably thinking about it. It's lukewarm. That's the biblical word for what I'm talking about. And what does Jesus say in Revelation 3 about the lukewarm? What does He say? He says, I'm not interested. If you're lukewarm, I'm not interested. You know, I've often said to you that uh, a lukewarm Christian can't stay up with a white hot God. You know, a lukewarm Christian simply can't stay up with Him. And Jesus says, I'm not interested. I'll spit you out of my mouth. It made me think of that uh, this old poem written by, I think he's an old preacher. His name's Wilbur Reese, a 20th century preacher. He said it like this. He said... Just an excerpt from his poem. It says, I would like to have $3 worth of God. Now, have, you, have any of you ever heard this poem? I would like to have $3 worth of God. I don't want too much. I don't want my life to be turned upside down. I don't want to be changed. I don't want to be born again. I just want a little bit of God in a paper sack. This is what the, the, <laughs> the poem says. He says, Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. I, don't, I want ecstasy. Not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not the new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I want $3 worth of God. This is epidemic again, beloved, in the modern church. At least that's been my experience. I don't know where you're from and what you have experienced. It's that utilitarian view of God that we've been talking about in young adult Bible study. You know what I mean, utilitarian view of God? It's like, how can I rub God just the right way to get what I want? I use God. I'm not really here to honor, worship, love, adore, treasure God. I'm here to use God. How can I use God? How can I get God to work for me? How can I get God to jump through a hoop for me? How can I get God to bless me the way I want to be blessed? You know, this again, <laughs> it's much of this, uh, much of this false uh, prosperity gospel that we Here in the world, I'll hang around. You know, people that hang around Christianity, they profess to be Christians. They they attend church semi regularly. They even serve the body on occasion, if it's not too inconvenient. But it's really only three dollars worth of God. Let me just ask you: Am I wrong? Am I wrong about this? Am I wrong to say? Uh, that if we read our Bibles with only average comprehension skills, this is a false view of Christianity. It is a false view, this disposable Christianity, this lukewarm, I'll use the biblical word, this lukewarm Christianity. It's an, it's an alien view as compared to what we see in Scripture. Am I wrong that a moderated Christianity is no Christianity at all? It's just dressed up religion. And again, we know how God feels about religion. Religion says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. God hates it. He says, depart from me. I'll not receive it. Go read the book of Amos. I'll not receive your worship, he says. There's no heart in it. Moderated. Moderated Christianity. Am I wrong to say that Christ, His church, His word, His commandments are not a matter of convenience for the true believer? But they are a matter of consuming passion and priority. This is biblical Christianity, beloved. It's what we saw in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. And it's what we see tonight in the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Jesus never said, Come with me if it's convenient and easy. He never said that. He said, Follow me, period. There are no qualifications to it. He says, follow me. He just simply says, follow me. The question for you and the question for me is, will I really follow this great God or do I just want to play religion with Him? That's really the issue. It's always the issue. It's always the issue, beloved. I'll just read Matthew 10, 37-39. You'll recognize the text. Jesus says, he who loves father or mother more than Me is not worthy of Me. And he who loves son or daughter more than Me is not worthy of Me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow Me is not worthy of Me. He who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for My sake shall find it. I don't think there's any legitimate way to moderate that call. And that is the call to you and that is the call to me. You know, some people want to make the dichotomy. Well, that's just for disciples. That's just false. It's for everyone who professes to be a true believer. Discipleship is salvation. Salvation is discipleship. If anybody tries to teach you any different, they're a false teacher. There's no dichotomy here. This is for everyone who would be a Christian. This call here in Matthew 10, 37-39. I love it again. Philippians 3, we've been seeing this in, in, in Paul's life. There's no tepid commitment to Jesus in Paul's life. This is not a disposable endeavor for Paul. He says, I press on. He says, I reach forward. He says, I press on. So I want to ask you, beloved, as we get into the text here in a minute, does that describe your Christianity? Are you pressing on in maturity? Are you pressing on in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember how Paul said it to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, fight the good fight. So I'm going to ask you, are you fighting the good fight? In your orbit, where you are, he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called. Let me ask you, have you taken hold of it and are you living it? Or is that just good dogma? Sermonic license. License. Or is that your lifestyle? If you notice in reading the, 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 the letter of Philippians, you just saw that these are not casual, moderated, conditional verbs. Paul is all in. And I love, uh, you guys remember Josh who used to, Josh Chase who used to help lead the, the music. He always used to say this in Bible study all the time. Just about every other question he would say this. Because we'd be talking about true conversion. he said, say, we've got to be all in. He says, you've got to be all in. You know, actually, I quoted him in my book. you got to be all in. If you're not all in, you're not in. This is the message of Christ. You can't be half in. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. It's what biblical Christianity has always looked like. I have finally arrived at the text. I apologize a uh, little bit long on the intro. 1 Corinthians 9:23, "And I do some things for the sake of the gospel." Is that what it says? What does it say? Somebody tell me, "I do all things for the sake of the gospel." You say, "Well, Jim, Paul was exceptional. Yes, he was exceptional. There's no question he was exceptional. He was exceptional you and I are called to the same thing. The same kind of, you know, all-in thing. He says, I do all things for the sake of the Gospel that I may become a fellow partaker in it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They did not They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's making two very important points here, at least, that I want to at least point out to you. Obviously, there's probably more, but two at least. First, he's talking about the prize of the Christian life. What is the prize? Obviously, it's salvation. The prize of the Christian life. It is salvation. Secondly, he's talking about how we live this Christian life. He's talking about a life of discipleship. He's comparing the Christian to an Olympic athlete. And we've talked about this Olympic athlete many times in this church. He doesn't... Arise to the metal stand by accident, does he? He's been pointing at the medal stand all his life. So Paul is definitely talking. He's referring to the Olympic Games here. They've been going on for about 800 years when he writes this. Everybody knows about the Games. Everybody knows what it takes to be a competitor in the Games. Everybody knows what that means. And so Paul is making that comparison to... Christianity I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse 23 he says this he has Paul saying I don't just want to talk about it I want to be in on it I love that and obviously this is the heartbeat of every true believer we don't just do church we live it Every day we live it. Not perfectly. I'm not saying we do it perfectly. But we live it. We have a heartbeat to live it. We're all in. We're all in in the marriage when it gets hard. We're all in at work when it gets hard. We're all in at the university when people are disparaging Christ. I'm all in. I'm I'm willing to say I know Him and I love Him. Amen? I'm all in with Jesus. Every day I get up And yes, we all have these days. We have those days, right? Where we struggle and we are weak and we've not spent time with God and we've not given our day to God. And we can really do some goofy things. But Paul Paul gives us the answer here. He says, I'm like an athlete. I am so disciplined in this endeavor. My goal is to make much of Jesus every day. And I prepare myself every day to do that very thing, even as an Olympic runner prepares himself to run in the finals and compete for the gold medal. Paul says to Timothy over in 2 Timothy 4.16, Take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Hold fast to that. For by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. so what is Paul talking about here that he might be disqualified he says I, he says I do all things for the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker in it is he saying to is he saying here that he could lose his salvation is he, is he saying that to Timothy that if you don't do enough ministry you know if you don't do all things for the sake of the gospel that You might lose your salvation. Is that what's being said here? Of course that's not what's being said here. The Bible does not teach this. That a true Christian can ever lose their salvation. The Bible simply does not teach this. And if you've heard that taught, it is a false teaching. But I'll go back to what I said earlier. Paul is saying discipleship is salvation and salvation is discipleship. There is no biblical distinction. Paul says, My joyful obedience to Jesus, my doing all things for the sake of the gospel, it's not a prerequisite to salvation, it's evidence of it. Do you understand? It's not a prerequisite to salvation, it's an evidence of salvation. It's James chapter 2, that famous verse that theologians can't figure out for some reason. Some theologians, right? I always love to talk about James chapter 2 because a six year old could preach that text. But theologians have butchered it and butchered it and butchered it without faith. What does it say? What does James 2 say? Your work without works, your faith is what? He says three things there in that He says your faith is useless. He says it's dead and he also says it's demonic. It's like demonic faith. He says the demons believe it. Satan believes it. They believe it. They just don't live it. The the same question is for you and me. Yeah, we believe it. The question is, do you live it? It's what Paul is saying. He says, if I don't live it, it's not real. It's a sham. It's a charade if I don't live it. We've talked about this so many times. Just go read First John. You know, if if it's real on the inside, it'll it'll spill out into the life. It's just how it works for, uh, in Christianity. It's just how it works. Paul says, "If I don't really live it, I've never been a partaker of it." God says, "Faith without works is useless, dead. It's comparable to that of the demons." Paul is not saying we have to work to earn our salvation. He's saying how we live reveals the authenticity of it. How do you know if it's an apple tree? How do you know if it's a pear tree? How do you tell the difference? Or an orange or a lemon tree? How do you tell the difference? By the what? What does Jesus say? By the fruit. It's always by the fruit. You can tell by the fruit. What do you see in your life? You can always tell by the fruit. Am I just an adherent to disposable Christianity, conditional Christianity, moderated Christianity, lukewarm Christianity, or am I all in? Beloved, I'm preaching to you in great love tonight because some of you, most likely, have never made the decision to be all in. You've never really decided to be all in. It's just conditional. It's just if it's convenient. It's really all disposable if something better comes up. Or if something better comes along the way. So I am doing what a good preacher should do. I'm not saying I'm a good preacher. But I am warning you tonight. If you are not all in, you have work to do with Christ. You need to revisit your conversion experience. You need to discover who you are. If you're not all in, beloved. If you're not all in. I preach this with great compassion. Are you all in with Him? Paul says, I'm all in! I'm all in. Listen, beloved. This is something I do. (laughs) I haven't arrived. I tell you this all the time. I haven't arrived I'm examining my heart. Am I all in? Or have I just found a comfortable place in Milan for ten years? You know what I'm saying? This is something each of us need to do. We need to be examining ourselves. Listen to some of these verses from the Bible. Jesus says, Strive to enter into the narrow gate. Strive, He says. John 6, 27. He says, Labor for the food that endures to eternal life. In Galatians 6.9, the Holy Spirit says, Do not grow weary in well-doing. Ephesians 5.15 says, Redeem the time. Philippians 3.12 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think that's a mistake on that reference. I think that should be Philippians 2. Beloved, for us, for a born-again believer, faith is not so much a noun as it is a verb. It's not so much something we have, it's something we live. This is New Testament Christianity, right? It's, it's splashed all over the pages of Scripture. Titus 2.12, God says, Be zealous for good deeds. Again, you're not earning your salvation. You're demonstrating by your very life that God is alive and well in your heart. Amen? This is the evidence of true conversion into life. There's always this aspect of striving. Let me me just quote John Piper, one of my favorite preachers over in the States. He's a famous preacher in the States. Let me just quote him on this. Maybe it'll help. If any of you are confused, maybe it'll help. He says, Paul runs and he fights. That's what he's talking about in the text. He says, I run and I fight. Again, this is not tepid Christianity. He says, I run and I fight. Piper says, Paul runs and fights the way he does because not because he doesn't have Jesus, but precisely because he does have Jesus. Amen? You understand understand the, the distinction here? He's not trying to gain Jesus. He's not running and fighting so he can gain Jesus. He already has Jesus. He's running and fighting because he has Jesus. Because he's all in with Jesus, right? This life, Piper continues, this life is a proving ground for whether faith is dead or whether it is alive. This is what what we've been talking about over in 1 Peter. I keep bringing that up. But this is one thing that God does through a trial. He establishes your faith. God says in 1 Peter, it's necessary that we go through certain trials. God says it's necessary. Go look it up. It's right there in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. God is establishing our faith. That's what part of this life is all about. He says it's a piper again. It's a proving ground. This life is a proving ground of who we really are, whom we really trust, and whom we really love. Beloved, that's true. Every day you get up, your life is screaming these things. This is who I really love. This is what I'm really about. Piper continues, this race of life has eternal consequences not because grace is nullified by the way we run, but because grace is verified by the way we run. We run to obtain eternal life because we have already been ordained for eternal life on the basis of God's work. I think I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, but I I work it in whenever I can. I'm just going to very briefly. You remember that litany over in First Peter chapter one. The true believer will obtain eternal life, for we have been obtained for it. This is the proper biblical understanding of conversion. The litany in 1 Peter chapter 1, God says, I've chosen you. I've redeemed you. I've sanctified you. I've caused you to be born again. I've prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. I'm protecting you with my omnipotent power. I'm perfecting your faith through every trial. I am saving your soul. Paul says, I am obtaining that for which I have been obtained. Do you understand? (laughs) Not only are you saved, you are being saved and you will be saved. This is how theologians talk. Because there is a past component, a present component, and a future component. It's very accurate to talk this way. So the born again Christian is obtaining what he has been obtained for. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, I'm going to obtain what I've been obtained for, and I'm all in. He says, he says, I'm all in. You guys know Philippians 3.12-14. We talked about it um, some weeks ago. Let me just read it to you. You hear the very same thread in it as you hear here. And this is why I'm in this text tonight. Paul writes, Not that I have already laid hold of it, or have become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I have been laid hold of. Amen? Do you understand? He says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He's a work in progress. He's a pilgrim progressing. We made much of that. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You may remember at the end of Paul's life, he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 7. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I kept the faith. He has been obtained, or he has obtained what he was obtained for. So let me ask you if you look at the the last 12 months of your life, does it say, I'm all in? Can you see it? Can you see it? Would Would a disinterested third party watching your life say, Yeah, they're all in? He's all in. I can see it. He's all in with Jesus. Beloved, at the end of the day, that's what matters. John Piper, I was reading his his notes on this. And he says, This life is serious. I know we like to I like happy church too, man. I love happy church, right? But you know, there's some serious stuff in the Bible, some serious stuff in the gospel. This life is serious. It's serious how you live, beloved. It's serious. But what I want to say to you for the, for the true Christian, it's secure. Because you can't lose it. <laughs> Praise God. We can't lose it. We can't lose it because He holds us. And you guys know there's a dangerous fallacy in the church at large, in the world. It says, you know, I pray this prayer, I parrot pray a prayer properly, I do an ordinance, I join, join a church, and I, I attend church semi regularly. And th- those are my bona fides uh that you know substantiates my christianity that that shows that my christianity is genuine my christianity is authentic i don't think i have to tell you that that's biblically unrecognizable christianity that's just at that level it's biblically unrecognizable it's a dangerous fallacy dangerous heresy that's in the world at large verse 20, 24 paul says I run in such a way that I may win. How many times have I said it to you? Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not. It's it's not. That's not what it is. It's not a spectator sport. In fact, spectator Christianity is, as I said earlier, it's biblically unrecognizable. There's that beautiful exhortation in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where God, defi- He's defined, in Hebrews 11, He defines faith and then uh, He illustrates it. And then in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews, God says this Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles you and run with endurance the race set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. God shows you what Hebrews 11, what faith looks like in Hebrews 11. Then He says, That's how I want you to live. So I'm just beating that drum tonight, right? I'm beating that drum. I'm asking you, Look at your life. Look at your life. Look at your life. Are you all in with Jesus or are you playing religion with Him? Beloved, I couldn't love you any more than to stand before you on occasion and challenge you like this. This is what a pastor is supposed to do. I'm not supposed to just tickle your ears every time you walk in here. In fact, if that's my priority, I should just go sell used cars. Nothing wrong with selling used cars. But I shouldn't be doing this if I don't have enough guts and I don't have enough love for you to say, are you real with Jesus? Are you all in with Jesus? Are you playing religion with Him? Beloved, it's way too serious. And I love you enough to say this to you. I love how Oswald Chambers... He's one of those Brits. Do we have any Brits here tonight? I can't remember. Do we have a Brit? Any English here tonight? Uh, Joe. You know who Oswald Chambers is, maybe? Okay. One of your countrymen. I love what he says about this. He says, May God not find the wine in us, but may He find us full of spiritual pluck. Don't you love that word? Spiritual pluck. And athleticism, ready to face anything He brings. Someone tell me, tell me what pluck means. What does pluck mean in this context? Joe. No pressure, man. Don't worry about it. Courage. Pluck is courage. If I looked at your life for the last 12 months, would I, would I be able to note there, this is one courageous Christian. Spiritual pluck. You know what I entitled my sermon? Plucky Christians. (laughs) Plucky Christians. I love that. I love that word, man. I'm going to adopt that word. I'm definitely putting it in my lexicon. It means to have guts and courage and resolve and backbone and fortitude and heart and spirit and spunk. No wine. Just pluck. I'm all in with Jesus and God has called His people to live this way to address two principal tragedies in this life. And I, you know, there are million things you can say about the, how screwed up this world is, but the two principal tragedies on the planet, I believe, is that God is profaned and man, men are perishing. These are the two ultimate tragedies on the planet. God has called you to address both of these by the way you live. Not just because I go to church. It's good to go to church. You know I want you to come to church, man. I love you to come to church. We need to come to church. God commands us to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. But He's going to use your life to make much of the name of Christ. These these missionaries in Iraq who are being beheaded. These little children who are being beheaded because they will not deny the, the, the deity of Christ. Jesus is seen to be valuable. Infinitely valuable and beautiful and sufficient in the lives of these children. Is Jesus? Is that being demonstrated in the way you live? The beauty and sufficiency and value of Christ? So we make much of Jesus in the way we live and also through the way we live, God's converting people around us, right? Our spouses, our children, our co-workers. Because... They see Jesus as real in us. Amen. He's not just a religious icon. He's my God, and I'm all in. I'm all in. You guys know 1 Corinthians 6:19 to 20. God says you are not your own. You know the verse? You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. You You've made a profession of faith in Jesus, you're not your own anymore. You belong to Him. That's that's the point. You have been bought with a price, therefore, does anybody know? Therefore, what? Glorify God. I tell you all, that's why you're still on the planet. Glorify God. God is being profaned. Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, is being profaned every day. Every day you go out in the world, his name's being profaned. Glorify Christ in your life and in your deeds. And through your life and your deeds, men will be converted. It's just the truth, beloved. It's how God works. So Paul says I run to win. The point here is not that I leave all my brothers and sisters in the dust. That's not the point, is it? In fact, as Christians, we know in the body, that's why this is so important, this body is so important of internationals. We come together and we we seek to love and, and serve one another, amen, and strengthen one another, encourage one another, be there for one another. So it's not just I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna sprint in such a way that I leave all my brothers and sisters in the dust. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying run in a way that winners run. That's what he's saying. Run like it means everything in the world to you. Run like an Olympic sprinter. Run like the gold medalist runs. Train and run like him. That's really what Paul's saying. Train and run like an Olympic athlete. And again, we know that nobody ends up on the medal stand by accident. It's because they've given their whole life to it in the Olympics. So we understand, I think, and I hope, the point here. Paul says, man, I, I'm, I'm all in. He says, verse 25, I exercise self-control in all things. Let me ask you, do you exercise self-control in all things? You say, Jim, I've got a couple problems. Work on them. Work on them. Give them to Jesus. Work on them. You, know, you, can, you, can, trust, you can trust the Holy Spirit uh, in your sanctification, but you're supposed to be cooperating with Him. He says, I exercise self-control in all things. Verse 26, he says, I don't run or box without, without an aim. He says, I have a focus here. I'm looking at the bema seat when I stand before King Jesus. Verse 27, he says, I, I buff it, which means to pummel my body, I make it my slave. He says, I engage in self-denial if I have to, to be who I need to be, to be who God's called me to be. This is no disposable kind of Christianity, beloved. The Apostle Paul is all in. All I'm asking you tonight to examine your heart: are you all in with God? Because the day that you meet Him, nothing else will have mattered at all compared to that. Absolutely nothing else will matter on that day. And Lord willing, nothing else will matter tomorrow as well. I'm not saying we neglect our subordinate responsibilities. Obviously, if you read your Bible, you understand the man or woman who is the most zealous Uh, In their faith, they are the best spouse. They're the best parents. They're the best employee, right? We understand how it trickles down. If we're committed to the Lord Jesus, how it trickles down in every aspect of our life. And so, like an Olympic athlete who trains to maximize his performance, I'm challenging you to be that spiritual athlete, that Christian athlete. And so how do we maximize our performance? We talked about it Thursday night at Young Adult Bible Study. How do we maximize... Um, what we do in the Christian life. What are the, what are the couple of disciplines that we, we employ? Anyone? We're in the Word, right? We're in the Word of God. We're being changed by the Word of God. We, we come in here and we do this. We set under the preached Word of God, something that God has ordained. You know, I had a young man ask me, he says, man, this is so antiquated. Why does the church still do this? Why don't you just get, you know, some pyrotechnics and lights and... You know, put on a good show. Listen, God ordained preaching. It was not my idea. God ordained it. God does something in the preached Word. He doesn't do any other place. I'm not saying you have to be under the preached Word to be converted. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying He does something here. There's a dynamic here that is not replicated anywhere else so we're in the word we're in the church we're we're in prayer we're in obedience we're loving and serving the body so I ask you beloved is that what your life looks like is that how it is with you in Jesus so how much were those gold medals in Sochi the, the Sochi winter games worth how much are those medals worth anybody know I looked it up I googled it they're worth 500 us dollars Okay? 500 U.S. 400 euros. Paul says that's what they run for. He says, but we run for eternity. You know, I I think I'm, I'm flirting with the possibility of going long tonight, so I'm going to abbreviate some of my notes. But I'll just go to Psalm 16. You guys know it. David writes, God will make known to me the path of life. In his presence is fullness of joy, and in his right hand there are pleasures forever. Our perishable is God. Our our wreath is God himself. It is imperishable. It's God himself and the pleasures of God forever. How can we not be all in? If we're not all in, we just don't understand it and we just don't believe it, really, beloved. At the end of the day. Verse 27, let me just, I want to make sure we understand this. Paul says, when he talks about being disqualified here, what's he talking about? What is he talking about? Again, I want to restate this. Can a genuine Christian be disqualified from eternal life in heaven? No. The answer is always no. In the Bible, the answer is no. If you are born again, you can never be unborn again. Jesus says, I'll never lose one of them that the Father has given to me. So don't. Listen to any false teacher. That is false. Paul is accentuating here the point he's been making through the text. And over in 1 Corinthians 10-12, Paul says this, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul says the genuine Christian is never lackadaisical about his walk with the Lord. He's never careless and apathetic and half-hearted and lazy. He presses on. He's laying hold. He's reaching forward. He's running. He's fighting. He's in the game. He's fighting the good fight. He's zealous. He's striving. This is what true conversion looks like. John Piper again, just for clarity. This race of life has eternal consequences not because grace is nullified by the way we run, but because grace is verified by the way we run. That 1 Corinthians 10-12 passage, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it beautifully. He says, I'm going to forget about self-confidence. It's useless. I'm going to cultivate God confidence. How do we cultivate God confidence? We do the things that I just reiterated. We're in the Word. We're on our knees. We're in the church. We're loving the body. We're serving the body. We're sharing the Gospel with the lost in the world. It's who we are. It's what we do. You guys know second. Corinthians. This is how I'm going to close. This word disqualified here at the end of verse 27, 1 Corinthians 9. It's the same word Paul uses over in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. And this is my loving exhortation to every one of you in here. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you are disqualified. And the only way we're ever disqualified is if we've just simply left off our obedience. Again, I want you to make sure you understand He's not talking about losing anything. He's just talking about manifesting the reality of His conversion. So, I lovingly close with this message or this exhortation. Examine your life. Is Jesus Christ in you? If He is, you will not be living a moderated, conditional, disposable kind of Christianity. You will be all in. You will be full of spiritual athleticism and pluck. You will understand that salvation is discipleship and discipleship is salvation. We don't have to become disciples to be saved. We have to become disciples. Someone tell me. Because we are. That's why a man becomes a disciple. (laughs) I cannot not be a disciple. This God is so awesome. He's so beautiful. He's so compelling. He's so desirable. So will you be an all-in disciple? Let me just close with this. We don't run to be saved. We run because we are. So I exhort you. I exhort you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this text, for its honesty. We thank You for bringing each of us face to face with the authenticity of our profession of faith. Your Word tells us, examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. So Lord, I pray that based on the text we've read tonight, if we're not all in, if we can honestly say we're not all in, Lord, I do pray that we would examine ourselves. I do pray that we would do spiritual business with You. I pray that every day from this point forward, we will be all in. We will be addressing those two tragedies in this life. That You are profaned and that men are perishing. Father, use us. Use us to address those two tragedies. Use us, Lord, that you may be honored and glorified in our life and that you may convert those around us through our life. We love you, great God. Forgive us of our sin, for we are all guilty. Forgive us of sometimes being lukewarm. Forgive us for allowing other things to take precedent. Forgive us for becoming Christians of convenience. We don't want to be like that, Father. We understand what this life is all about. Piper's right. It's serious. It's serious every day. It means something every day. We want to understand it, Lord, and we want to live it. Help us, we pray. Help us. You know our frame, for we are weak. Help us, we pray. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Russell, can we sing a shout to the Lord? Thank okay.